Welcome everybody to Outside the Vines. This is a wonderful idea that the brilliant Adam Gordon brought to us. And the three of us who have shared work together with the Pac-12 Network uh, for years and have discovered that we share, well, we don't just share a third, we share a need for wine. <laughs> and so Adam was smart enough to understand that. I'm Ted, you see Glenn, you see Ashley, you're going to hear them. And and before we get going with our first episode, I thought it was great, guys, to just... Ashley, the thing that we have in common, neither one of us has a wine cellar like Glenn, okay? <laughs> I, I Am I right, Glenn? I think we need to start with Glenn's wine cellar, because that was, that was one of the very first things that I learned about Glenn Parker when we started working together at the Pac-12 Network, what, nine years ago? Long time ago, and and but I've downsized since then. I parted ways with a lot of bottles, and I'm I'm down to a very manageable six or seven hundred bottles at this point. So, and the great which part is, is about one tenth the size of my previous cellar. <laughs> <laughs> and, but but and, and and we found this out. The great part about all this is that Glenn, you've lived what we are going to discuss with an awful lot of guests, starting in this first episode, because you made that you left after great career playing professional football and you went headfirst into wine. I really did. You know, I did it as a, um, it kind of started when I was playing and it was, what do you want to do? And I only knew I wanted to do TV, but when you're, when you're working in, in football and they want to do player development, it was something very big in the NFL um, about the midpoint my career kind of came on. They said, well, we can get you on a TV show as a, as a grip or you can run wires. I'm like, no, no, I already had my own TV shows, my own radio show. I don't want to do that. So I said, I really love wine and I'd love to know more about it. And so they reached out and I was invited by Robert Mondavi Winery to come out. And so while I was playing in my off seasons, I went out uh, to the to the wineries and I I lived there in Napa for anywhere from sometimes two weeks, sometimes six weeks uh, at a time in order to to learn. And, and I would lead tours and tastings and I'd be a part of it all. And it really taught me a lot about the, the business and the passion of wine that so many people share, as we do. Yeah. So here's the thing, and I, I'm going to ask hopefully all of our guests, and I don't I don't want to belabor the point of who the, the two fantastic guests that we have to kick off this podcast are, and Damon Heward and Drew Bledsoe. But I want to ask you two the question that I'm hopefully going to ask all of our guests, which is like, when did you know? Like, when did you fall in love with wine? When did you say like, oh, this is, you know, this is something that I'd like to spend more time learning about, thinking about, drinking because. I think everybody sort of has their own entry point into wine, whether it's drinking box wine in college or something more refined. So, Glenn, for you, when was that? Well, wine was always on the table in my household uh, growing up in California. And but it was really right after I was in the NFL and my wife was pregnant with our first child. And so I had to do all the cooking. So I ended up saying, well, if I'm going to do this, yes, I've been the youngest of six and I've had to cook a lot on my own, but I'm not a cook. I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it right. So I, I, I apprenticed in my off seasons and then on my days off while during the season at a, as a traditional French kitchen, learning from the bottom up. And that led me into wine. And the first time I had an incredible meal with the right bottle of wine and why it matched and why it was right, it, it was magic. And when that happened, I wanted to know everything I could about why food goes with wine and and how it works. And that was my entry point right then and there. I, I just, I absolutely fell head over heels in love and passion with, with wine. Yeah. So as the... Uh well, I'm the New Yorker here, so I grew up Budweiser. And, like, for an extravagant 
thing. I actually went uh, to Ireland a few times, ran a marathon over there, and discovered Guinness, like real Guinness. When I moved to California, that was it. It was Budweiser and Guinness. And thankfully, I worked with a longtime major league pitcher named Mike Kruko. And Mike, I intend to have as a guest somewhere along the line of this podcast. And Mike actually was the first person that put a glass of red wine in my hand, not Suave Bola, but real red wine. And he started me with Merlot. And he said, this is your entry level. This is how you learn to like red wine. And then really, I I owe it to Mike because through Mike, I met a lot of winemakers. Mike himself dabbled in winemaking in his home in San Luis Obispo. But that's where it started. That was 25 years ago. And now, again, Ash, we don't have a Parker cellar, but but I've done okay. And as as the Billings proves, I discovered Brunello. Wow. Wow. So, Ash, you're you you're the young version. You you hit our young demo here. How does someone like you? And by the way, you might hear because Ashley is the mother of two. Which That's how I got into wine. It's a very short story. I have two small. explains the need for wine, though. So go ahead. <laughs> it was a need, yeah. It was much like Glenn. It was more of a need. Uh, no, I mean, I, I do want to point out, and I know that we're, our guests are going to join us here in just a couple minutes, so I'll try and make this short, but. I always enjoyed a glass of wine, you know, from early on, but it wasn't until it was actually the first time I saw the movie Sideways in a theater in New York City. And I was like, oh, there's a lot more to all of this. And you mentioned Merlot, you know, I, didn't, I all of a sudden I'm like, wait, am I not supposed to be drinking Merlot? Yeah. So when I moved out to San Francisco, when we uh, when the networks launched back in 2012, I started, you know, taking day trips to Napa and Sonoma and my brother has a place in Healdsburg, so I've been there a few times, and it's just... I, I am definitely sort of like the every man, every woman of this podcast. So if there are, you know, wine drinkers out there who maybe aren't sommelier level, like I'm, I'm your gal. I'll, I'll you know, I'm, I'm going to be sticking up for you as everybody's using all these words that I probably don't even know what, what they mean. But yeah, I love wine and I'm with you, Glenn. I think there's just something so special every now and then you just get a pairing of this wine goes so well with this food and why is that? And I think, um, you know, it's special when it happens. And the biggest thing is the whole reason we're doing this podcast, wine is shared amongst friends and being able to have a glass virtually or around a shared table that's, it's made for some incredible memories and some pastime. So I'm excited to get the wine flowing. I can't wait to do this because I, I, I so envy the both of you with your pairing of food and wine because the only pairing I've ever figured out that really works is Brunello and more Brunello. <laughs> that is my passion. <laughs> well, listen, Ashley, Ashley and I have, have made a living talking about this. Glenn played and then got involved in this firsthand. So we hope that the three of us bring you a a perfect blend. And we are going to start tonight with two magnificent former quarterbacks who've both themselves gone hands-on into the wine business. This is Outside the Vines, a podcast fusing three big names from the world of sports, their love of wine, and their thirst for sports. All right, let's get to it. Here are your hosts of Outside the Vines, Ted Robinson, Glenn Parker, and Ashley Adamson. And well, for our first episode, we are in quarterback heaven. Look at this. And even though 2020 was uh, was off for all of us in just about every way, we have been able to put together an apple cup for outside the vines first. Look at this. Husky, Damon Heward, 
Cougar, Drew Bledsoe, combined 26 years NFL quarterbacking, Wines, Damon, passing time. And we're going to have a little, we're going to have a little sampling. Oh, Drew, look at that. Drew's already beaten us to the punch. <laughs> and, and Drew's double back. This is the special double back that we're going to talk about, the estate reserve cab. Um, and first of all, what, what was your guys, Damon, you first, what was your record in the Apple Cup? Uh, it was three and two. Both games lost on the Palouse in the snow. Uh, one of those uh, put Drew on the map and made him the first pick in the draft. And uh, that was uh, a rough day. But I just held the clipboard, so we would have kicked his ass if, if I was in there. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's, uh, no, there's no doubt. There's no doubt, Damon. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, three and two in the Apple Cup. But uh, the home team always won. It was uh, always yeah. tough going over there playing, especially when guys like number 11 were slinging it uh, all over the snow. How about you, Drew? Yeah, we were uh, we were one and two, one and two. We got him in that that game that uh, Damon mentioned over there in the snow in '92, my last one, uh, which was uh, which was good. I mean, I guess if you're only going to win one, you want to win the last one, right? It's kind of like if you're playing golf, you know, if you're only going to birdie one hole, you want to birdie the 18th. So, uh, I guess I'll take that as, as some small solace, even though we got our ass kicked the first two first two times we played. So, so both you guys, college, you're from Washington State, college in Washington, and now wine in. Washington. So I mean, just jump in. We're going to have a conversation here. Was that a blueprint that was a long time coming or was it a, an improv move at some point? Well, I'll jump in first because I, I, because I blame Damon. Uh, I think it's Damon. It's all Damon's fault. Uh, you know, he came and uh, uh, came up to New England and, you know, we sort of knew each other, but we didn't really, you know, hadn't spent a lot of time together prior to that. But then we, we really hit it off. And one of the things that we had in common was we both really liked wine and and uh, it was really funny. We'd actually, we'd be sitting in these, these uh, early training camp meetings. And, you know, the early training camp meetings, if you've been around for, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years, and they're teaching you how to get in the huddle and what the names of the formations are and all of this stuff, it's really hard to maintain your attention. Well, all of a sudden, Damon starts sliding me over drawings of wine bottles for the, this, uh, this, uh, this wine venture we're going to start together. Um, I think one of them, like rifle arm, there were, there were, there were, he had some pretty good ideas. And, and, uh, uh, at the outset we were, was, we, we, we started out for the first foray. We, it was going to be a partnership, uh, with me and Damon and, and, uh, Dan Marino and then our buddy Rick Meyer, who's actually making some killer wine down in, uh, in Napa. Um, but you know, four of us kind of, we, we did make an attempt to buy some property at one point. Um, but then it kind of just kind of went its separate ways. You know, all chiefs and no Indians is, is, uh, is really not a way, it's not a way to operate something. Uh, no offense to Damon who did play for the chiefs for a bit. Uh, but, uh, um, um, but, uh, then now, you know, we're, we're all, we all got the bug and started thinking about it. And now we're all separate, separately, uh, you know, Damon, obviously with Dan, uh, and Rick down in Napa, we're all separately in the wine business our, ourselves individually. So, um, I guess you could say it worked out for all of us, um, but not in the way that we originally laid it out. But it was all Damon's fault. There's, there's no, there's no doubt about it. Uh, without Damon sliding me over these drawings that he was using, I mean, he's actually not a bad artist. I'll give you that one nod, Damon. You did draw some pretty cool stuff, um, but that was really how it started for for me. Yeah, um, you know, I was a young dumb rookie with the Dolphins, and uh, three thousand miles from home. And uh, as Drew alluded to with Dan Marino, uh, he was a big wine guy, an Italian kid, grew up in 
in Pittsburgh, his uncle Chucky made homemade wine. He was probably drinking wine with spaghetti at 12 at the dinner table. And um, we'd go over to his house and he's like, Damon, you ever had any of these wines where, where you come from? And I was like, no, Danny, uh, I couldn't really afford them as a poor college kid, but yeah, pour, pour me some. And, and he had had a buddy who was a distributor at Southern that turned him on to Washington wines in the late nineties. So he's pouring me some Andrew Will, some Leonetti and, and man, this stuff's good. And the bug just bit. And so we always talked about one day when I was done and retired and back home here in the Northwest that uh, we would do this wine thing. And then as Drew alluded to uh, 2000, I get fired by the dolphins and I sign with the Pats and, I uh, move on up to Foxborough and act like I'm some, you know, 25 year old wine novice or wine expert. And, uh, you know, I'm turning Drew, you know, I guess. And Drew is from Walla Walla, where at least we know is one of maybe the most popular appellation in the state of Washington. So, yeah, we t- we hit it off as quarterbacks. We hit it off as drinking wine as young guys. And, um, yeah, we just always talked about doing this. We were done. And Drew got a, a big head start on me. I think 07 was his first vintage. I retired from football in 09. Uh, it took me a few years to find the right winemaker and some of this, uh, those things. And then 2012 was our first vintage. But Drew's been huge for me with his head start um, in the industry, uh, helping me along the way with passing time. But at the end of the day, yes, we're cooks, we're huskies. But with the Washington wine industry, it's like the high tide rises all ships. And we're really in this thing together, do a whole bunch of fun uh, projects together, events. And it's just a great way for uh, our friendship uh, to continue on all these years later. So we weren't the first people to get you two together to have this idea is what you're telling me, Dana. <laughs> no, sorry. It's, it, it does yeah. make it fun, yeah. though, and especially now, you know, like I said, you know, I was talking earlier, we're, you know, we're about to be empty nesters. So obviously we're going to have a lot more, more free time. Mm-hmm. And one of the cool things is you can actually travel to some pretty neat places and call it work. Uh, you know, uh, Damon and I, are, we're taking our wives on a business trip uh, a year from May. Uh, it's a, a business trip on a, a river cruise boat in uh, Bordeaux. So, um, uh, you know, a lot of re- a lot of research and development will, will take place mm-hmm. uh, on our cruise. I'll do some drawings. Um, yeah, yeah, Damon will do some drawings. Yeah, it'll be amazing. Well, we've been well, talking so, about taking this podcast on the road, so I just will plant that seed now. And circle back at the I end after it. we've all had a couple of bottles of wine. Go ahead, Glenn. I'm in there. So I, the real question, you know, I, that's kind of how you got into it. Was there an aha moment, though? You know, it's one thing to say you, you tried some wines, but do you do you have that either a wine or that moment? Each of you, I, I mean, I can pretty much. I, earlier, I was speaking about my time when that happened. When that moment when you went, this, there's more to this. Mm-hmm. This is not just, you know, it's not, you're not being handed a Coors Light. You taste it, you go, okay, there's more to this. Mm-hmm. And when it hits, was there that moment for each of you? Go ahead, Damon. You know, um, honestly, from day one, those Washington wines were great, but I'm not going to lie to you. And I've totally gone away from them. It's like my palate is, is really changed over the years, Glenn, to be honest with you. But the first one that I really just like, oh my gosh, this is interesting, was a, a Domaine Drew and Pinot Noir. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it was just like the the nose, um, and I don't even know anybody from Domain Drew. And in fact, I'm really good friends with the folks at Domain Serene. So there, there's a plug for both of them. But uh, anyway, yeah, it was an Oregon Pinot, and um, it was uh, yeah, it just kind of rocked my world. The the the, the nose, um, and uh, th- that was the first one. And then you know, diving into the Washington wines, uh, and and one thing I did over the course of my career, I. 
you know, played Miami, New England, Kansas City, is while I was playing, I knew when I was done that we were going to do this wine project. And so every offseason, I'd come home and I'd get to know all kinds of people in the industry, farmers, growers, other uh, winemakers. Um, I have a lot of great mentors along the way, Chris Camarda, Andrew Will, Charlie Hoppus, Fidelitas, all these guys. And, um, you know, and just uh, I've always been biased toward Washington wines. And so wherever I played, I always wanted to pour them. I was so proud of them. And now one day to be making them and then just all those connections along the way, introducing me to the to the farmers, because it all starts in the vineyard. And I'm so blessed to be able to source fruit from these older established vineyards because of the connections I made along the way, knowing I was going to get into this thing when I was done uh, in the NFL. Well, I, I, I thank you for that because Domingue Druin and I and Oregon Pinos in particular have had a long, sordid love affair for many years, and it's 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 led down some back alleys, which I love. Drew, how about you? Yeah, uh, you know it, it's interesting. We 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 sort of got into kind of I don't know. Geez, it's probably just you know prior to when Damon came up, but we started you know we started collecting wines, and you know we go to dinner and order wine because that's kind of what you're supposed to do. Um, but then, uh, after a little while, like, okay, yeah, there is something different here, but I did have kind of that one epiphany moment and, um, crazy thing. It was actually an Napa. It was actually an apple wine, which, uh, which, uh, you know, in, in Washington, we don't like to admit those kinds of, uh, of things <laughs> that we ever liked anything from California, you know, God forbid. Um, but it was actually, it was a 1998, uh, via there. Um, which to me was kind of interesting. It's still something now that, that I take with me and I'm looking for other wines to buy. Uh, 98 was sort of a, it was an off vintage critically with the, from, from Napa. Um, but I've learned over time, and I think this is particularly true even in the Willamette, uh, that in the quote-unquote off vintages that the critics don't like, if you go find the great producers in off vintages, you end up with really interesting wine. Um, you know, you, you can't go main, you can't go mainstream and off vintages and get good wine, but the great producers make really interesting stuff. So, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was the first one. And then, uh, going forward from there, even just in the last few years, oh man, I, you know, we had some friends, they poured us a, a, uh, um, 61, um, uh, it was a six, hold on, a six, um, Montfortino. Barolo, Conterno Monfortino Barolo from '61 uh, that the friend brought uh, to us, and that one, that one, Glenn, it was like it was one of those moments, like holy shit, I, I don't, I don't know if we're even capable of doing this in the you know Walla Walla Valley, and it just feels it was, it was one of those really cool moments, but it was also like oh shit, I'm, uh, we can never make this, you know, and this is a, this is amazing, and it just it it, it was sort of you know, exciting and cool and also de depressing at the same time. But we are going to plant, plant some uh, Nebbiolo. Uh, matter of fact, actually, the, the Nebbiolo just went in the ground just uh, just last week. So we're going to plant a couple rows of Nebbiolo and just see if we can. I'm a Great call. Who's growing Nebbiolo in Washington? Anybody, Drew? Ah, man, I don't think there's anybody, you know, which probably means we're stupid. But you never know. We might we might, we might be right in the um, – we can say, uh, you guys can say you knew us when That's we were right. the dummies who were the dummies that planted Nebbiolo. Hey, you know, something I've, I've learned from just observing and a lot of um, people I've known, former athletes like yourselves that have gone into this business is they're out and they learn it hands on. And they're out in, in, I mean, I know someone who literally went out and tied the vines himself and he hired the people to make the wine, the professionals. 
But I'm just curious from your guys' standpoint, have you gotten that deep into this experience to be actually tactile with, with the grapes? Well, Drew probably has, but my story, you know, most of the world, it's right. It's like Chateau, Vineyard, pick grapes, make wine. In Washington, so many of the wineries, there's over a thousand of them now, you know, uh, are over here on the western side of the state, closer to Seattle in Woodenville, where we are. And, um, you know, we source fruit from eight different vineyards over there. Uh, we bring it in-house, put the grapes, put them on a truck, bring them over. We think we can make more interesting wine with all these all these different fruit from these different appellations and, and all this, that, and the other. So, um, you know, am I in the vineyards on a daily basis uh, during harvest? No, I'm not going to lie to you. Am I over there once every couple weeks as it gets closer to picking the fruit? And, you know, dialing in the right time to pick it for sure. But, um, you know, it's just it's it's done a little bit differently in Washington where I don't know what the percentage is, but I promise you the majority of the wineries actually purchase fruit uh, from different farmers uh, instead of owning their own vineyard. But Drew's a little different. Well, you know, that's just so typical, though, you pretentious West Siders uh, taking the fruit from the east side where the good stuff is grown and then claiming it's all about you you know we really we're the one we're the farmers we do the real work you guys just sit around and sip your wine you know have a nice dinner with your wife and talk about your wine making but we're the ones that are actually growing the fruit damon oh, are so you can do typical. all the hard work yeah. <laughs> thank you um yeah yeah you're welcome you're welcome um <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know Ted, I, I, uh, we, when we planted our very first vineyard back in 2007, McQueen Vineyard, we got out, my wife and I got out with the kids, and we actually did help help put some vines in the ground. Um, but uh, also, um, you know, I know where I stand in terms of my uh, knowledge, uh, ability, and experience. And if I were to try and really get involved and control things and, and make some of the minutiae-type decisions, I would totally screw it up. Uh, thankfully we have really, really great people that are doing that. But, uh, but one of the things that's cool about this business and that, that, that we've chosen to get into is it's something that I, I know I'm, I know I'm going to be able to learn about it for the rest of my life and still not know it all. Um, you know, there were this, this whole crazy 2020 that we went through, there were so many negative things, but on a personal level, there were a few positive things. And one of those for me was that I didn't have fall sports with my kids for the first time. So I was actually able to be at the winery for a, a lot, you know, much more uh, time during harvest and crush. Um, and I know I was really annoying to Josh and the rest of the team because I was just the dude walking around and answering, just asking questions all the time. They're like, well, what are you doing? Well, why are you doing that? And what do you know? Why are you doing that? What's that spreadsheet mean? What do those notes mean? You know, like, and, and Josh would just kind of look at me. He's like, you know, I've explained this to you a couple times, right? Like, yeah, no, I'm not a fast learner. You got you to gotta, you gotta pound it through my head. Uh, but it really is, uh, it's an amazing process beginning to end. And it's something that's so fun to continue to learn about. Uh, thankfully I've had very, very patient people, um, you know, that have continued to teach me, you know, through the whole process. We, we just need to mention quickly, Josh, because I, I noticed this, you're referencing the CEO and director of winemaking for Doubleback is Josh McDaniels. I mean, more he's a busy dude, man. He, uh, he's calling players for the Patriots on the weekends and then making wine during the week. He's a really busy dude in the fall. Yeah. Right. No, the funny, the funny story for the winemaker, Josh, uh, was that when the, the offensive coordinator, Josh agreed to take the job with the Colts 
and then he left him at the altar at the 11th hour. Well, all of a sudden, the winemaker, Josh, his social media just started blowing up with death threats. And like, like if I ever see you in Indianapolis, I'm going to kick your ass. And he would, he would respond to it. He was like, no, I'm, I'm just a winemaker, man. Leave me alone. Uh, uh, but I will say that uh, the, the winemaker, Josh McDaniels, had a better year in 2020 than the offensive coordinator did. Uh, it made some pretty killer wines for us in 2020. So my, my question for both of you is this. Um, you know, Damon, you're talking about bringing the, the, the fruit in, which is, you know, that. so you're not in a – so the state wine versus winemaker type thing. But how much when you get right down to the making of the wine, not talking about hands-on in the vineyard, but you, you've got each barrel out. You're going down for your house palate. How much are you two involved in defining what the house palate is? Yeah, I'm a I'm a total pain in the ass with that. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm all over it. Um, I think, uh, you know, we, we've been as successful as we have because of our attention to detail in the cellar. And I think we've been able to have that attention to detail because of the size of our winery. You know, we make, you know, right around 2000 cases a year. That's all. And with that, like we spend probably three months doing our blending trials at the end of the day. My winemaker's name is Chris Peterson. He was a famous football coach too, you know. Uh, so Drew and I, we've had fun with. We have Josh McDaniels and Chris Peterson here, and everyone in the room's co- what? Coach Pete is a wine. Anyway, another story. To answer your question, um, there's a stretch from like every January to uh, end of March where Chris is at the winery, and this is where the artist in him comes out and what he loves to do. He loves to spend hours. Okay, let me try it with five uh, percent Cab Franc, eight uh, percent Merlot, three percent Petit uh, Verdot added to your Cab. Okay, uh, I think I like that, but I like it a little bit better with nine percent Merlot, Damon. What? And so we go through all these things, literally like a couple times a week for three months before we finally dial in our blend. Now the wine we're going to taste tonight, our Horse Heaven Hills Cab, which is I guess our flagship, because when we started in 2012, it was the only wine we made. So we kind of got this little recipe dialed in. It's pretty much, you know, close to 90% cab. Comes from a couple different vineyards, uh, Shampoo and Discovery. And then it has some Merlot. In years past, we've gotten Clipson Merlot in there from Red Mountain. But this year, it's a little Shampoo Merlot. And then some Cab Franc to kind of lift the nose. And and uh, it, it just that recipe of, of the, the two cabs from those two sites, a little Merlot to flush it out and round it out. And then the Cab Franc for the nose is really, you know, that, that recipe has been dialed into this Horse Heaven Hills Cab. But it took years and then every year, months, to make sure we get it right. So, and I love that part of it, too. As Drew said, every year we're learning. I might get access to a little different fruit, a little better fruit, this, that, and the other. So, but it's fun, man. Every year coming up, see what Mother Nature does um in the vineyard and then we get to put it together uh the artistry of chris peterson our winemaker and me uh being the pain in the ass uh, that i am yeah no say very similar you know glenn we we um we do i don't know i think i think my wife and i participate directly you usually in probably four sometimes five rounds of, of blending trials um Mara does participate in those and she actually has a, a better palate than I do. And she's not going to, she's not going to give you the, you know, all the vocab, but when it comes to knowing what's, what's right and what's not, uh, she, she's actually pretty great at it. So she participates in all of those for us. Uh, 
and our, our blends, they do, you know, the, the, uh, estate reserve and the, uh, the double back blend, they, they vary, um, quite a bit from year to year. Uh, one of the things though, when you said house palette, I really, I'd actually, I like that. I like that term. I'm going to steal that Glenn. Um, <laughs> Uh, because one thing the one thing that we that we uh, that we committed to when we started is that we're going to make wines for ourselves. We're going to make wine we like, right? Uh, and we've had conversations in the past about, well, you know, maybe we had it let the fruit hang a little uh, a little longer, go with a little riper style, and uh, see if these critics will give us uh, you know 100 points just because we let it get overripe like they do for. Some of the other, you know, bullshit that's out there. Um, um, but at the end of the day, <laughs> we're talking but, about, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and uh, um, and so we. Uh, but at the end of the day, we we know we've we've decided to stay true to you know to that initial mission, which was to make wines that that uh, that for ourselves first, and and I think by doing that, um, and I know Damon's the same way. By doing that, your customers learn to trust you. You know, they're not going to wines are not going to be radically different stylistically from one year to the next. Um, so, yeah, no, it's uh, and, and we're making we're making more more wine now. So we have more flexibility with what comes in the building, um, you know, to be even more picky. Um, I will tell you, and I know Damon would would totally agree with this. It, it gets kind of hard, but in a really good way, because you're sitting there, you're like, God, you know, all four of these blends are great. I wouldn't be embarrassed to have my name on any one of the four, but at the end of the day, you have to pick one. And, uh, it's, I, uh, I do tell people it's just, it's, you know, it's really, really hard work. Uh, you know, some people lay asphalt, some people tar roofs, and some of us have to sit day after day and drink through many different samples of delicious wine. It's so, um, Damon and I will be sending around our GoFundMe page for all the people that feel sorry for us because we have to drink wine and call it work. Um, I, I, we just, we love the support we get from all of our fans and we just know it's, it's just good to know you care. I, I, I love yeah. hearing what you just said, Drew, because again, I've gotten to know some winemakers in Sonoma in particular who are, who, who are boxed in and their owners, of course, are interested in selling the most wine and they're forced mm -hmm. to make a wine. And they, and they've often told me if I had my own, this is what I would make. So mm -hmm. you, you kind of said it, Nebbiolo, you make Barolo, huh? Uh, yeah, now look, you know, I've never had Nebbiolo from any place other than Northern Italy, um, that I thought was any good. So, you know, wine is very much about place. So I have no idea if it's going to be any good, but, uh, but I, I just kind of had to know, and I had to know if, you know, if it's possible. Uh, the problem is like to really do Nebbiolo and that, in that style, man, what, what I'm not going to know for 20 years, man. I just hope I live long enough. You know, we got to wait for these vines to get some age and then they got to be in the barrel for a while. And then they got to lay down for another, you know, 15 years. So I, I, it may be, it may be up to my kids to decide whether or not we actually did a good job, you know, growing Nebbiolo and, and making that style of wine. But, uh, but if we do, it'll be a cool story. That's how the Zinfandel got started in California, right? One, sure. Years yeah. ago, somebody brought the Zinfandel grape over and started. Yeah, right. So, Drew, is that the hope? You, you mentioned that, you know, it's up to your kids as to, to kind of how this thing plays out for, for both of you. Is Do you hope this becomes a, uh, a longstanding family tradition? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, the kids all have a little bit of ownership in the winery and they don't they don't actually get to see any money or anything that just kind of goes into a trust. But 
Um, but it, you know, it will belong to them someday when Mara and I kick the bucket. And, um, so yeah, my hope is that they'll have some level of interest in it. Um, um, what level that is remains to be seen. Our oldest son got a degree in wine business from Cal Poly. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think he wants to come immediately as his first job out of college to come back and work for his folks. Uh, and we have not encouraged that either. Uh, I would love it someday if he wanted to come work for us. Um, but, uh, not right out of college. Uh, John, who's up at Wazoo, he's gone down and he actually has had to do, he's had to do some of the real kind of the real, like the bad stuff at like building boxes and, uh, you know, just kind of the grunt, boring labor side of the wine business. So he's gotten to see that side of it a little bit. Um, he did get to go work in the tasting room in Walla Walla for a little while, which was intimidating for him. He's like, dad, I don't really know anything about this. I'm like, well, just be nice, smile, you know, it'll work. Um, um, and then, uh, the other two, who knows, but, but I would love to have them involved. And, uh, it's kind of cool now that they have a little slice. They, they at least know they have some ownership. They don't really know what or anything, but they, but they know that they have some ownership. So hopefully they're at least paying attention. Yeah. I, you know, who knows where things take in business and whatnot, but there's no doubt this passing time thing has been a lot of fun. And so over a decade old now, and, um, my the oldest daughter, Holly, she's 21. So she works all of our events and is pouring wine. And she actually went to work at another winery uh, that's open more often than we are. And uh, I got to tell you a quick, funny story. Drew, you'll die here in this one. So, you know, someone asked her, are you 21? Said, oh yeah. You know, I'm, yeah. Yeah. And then she really starts talking about wine because she's been around it growing up and kind of got a little. And then finally, the group's like, well, how the heck do you know so much about wine if you just turned 21? Like, like, oh, well, well, my family owns a winery. And, and this is after the guy put a $20 tip on the table. You know, people are tipping generous to college kids. Right. Because like, you know, they, they, they weren't able to work for a while. And, and the guy goes, so what What winery does your, your family own? And she goes, a passing time. He took his $20 boat bill off the table. <laughs> Go Cougs. I love it. <laughs> and, and Holly was just crushed. But uh, anyway, so yes, Holly is learning a lot about the wine industry, having a software, and I think she will carry the torch one day. Uh, my other two, they're still young, 18, 16. Sam, my son's packed some boxes at release party and carried the wine out to the car. But uh, my oldest daughter, Holly, because as much as this is about wine, we want to talk about the terroir and place and appellations. It's about sales, right? I mean, it's a product, one of the single most competitive consumer products in the world. And so you better be able to sell. And uh, my daughter, Holly, who's worked every job imaginable, can sell so yeah she'll be on the team <laughs> i think shouldn't we start tasting sure oh yeah, yeah I, I can't believe you guys are that far behind me we weren't supposed to start already what happened ted i thought we were already into this <laughs> the specifics of these two fine wines mm -hmm. ashley and glenn are going to guide us through that dissecting the flavors well, I don't know about dissecting, but, you know, I think when, 
whenever you drink wine, you know, in, in, as a point of education for, you know, the way I learned it, I'm an analyst. I, you know, I've been an offensive lineman for all those years. I, I'm an analyst. I just tend to analyze. Um, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a wine snob by any, by any stretch of the imagination, but to me, I always look at two things. Is there fruit? Is there structure? And how do they interplay? And to me, I always like to, you know, when you're talking because also of coaching, how do you make someone visualize what that is? Now, the way I learned in the wine business was when you're talking about flavors and aromas, it's to, it's, I don't know if anybody here has ever done essence tasting where you go all the way around over and over with the essences and, and there's no actually no wine drunk, you're actually just smelling. And what that does is it, it, it was brought to me in this way. It was to visualize an orchestra. I'm not a musician by any, by any stretch. If you said, hey, pick out that French horn, I would be like, yeah, right. Okay, pick out the French horn in a 100-piece orchestra. But if nothing played but the French horn and then the orchestra started up, I could find that French horn in a heartbeat. That's much like wine tasting and having done an essence tasting. Once you do that, you have a memory bank of what – things smell and taste like, and that's how, kind of how you start going about enjoying wine. And so to me, when I look at two things in a wine, I always look at the structure. To me, a structure for old guys, and other than Ashley, most of us can understand, ticker toys. Imagine ticker toys in a, uh, in a structure that matches your wine bottle, you know, that height, that size. And then fruit is just, you could stuff that structure of ticker toys full of Nerf balls, of varying sizes. The closer you get to the actual size of that structure would be the most balanced you could have. If Nerf balls are popping out like crazy, you've got a very fruit forward wine. And if they're not approaching the size of that, you've got a, a very tannic structured wine. So I don't know if that makes sense. And you guys are the winemakers, you might have a better sense of it, but that's how I analyze in my mind. Mm -hmm. So am I, am I getting a lot of fruit? Am I getting a lot of structure? Am I getting kind of both in a harmonious balance? And so that's kind of how I look at wines. And then obviously first and foremost is the nose. And so we were talking prior to you guys coming on and I had, I had poured both wines, but I hadn't tasted. And it was immediate, these, these things that came right up and passing time right off the bat. This is a, a really approachable fruit forward wine. It's, if you can drink this right now, you, you, you could be, this is the type of thing you go to a restaurant, you're gonna buy a bottle of, of passing time. You really are. Um, it's that it's, it's your, it's a very, to me, or as the French say, you guys have been around French winemakers, typique. It's, it's in, it's a Washington Cabernet. It's there. You see this right off the bat. Um, and then I smelled this one and I went, that's going to lay down. I'm going to lay it down and I'm going to come back to it in five to seven years or better. But that's just, that's right off the nose to me. That's being something. And now I've tasted them both. They're both delicious both incredible and passing time to me is very much like I said, if I'm at a, if I go to a restaurant and I'm having a steak, I'm having, you know, uh, a nice cut of red meat. I'm having this. This is great. I would have no problem paying a good chunk of money at a good restaurant for this wine at a meal. This wine I'm putting in my cellar and I'm coming back to in five to seven years when I'm having steak at home with my family, I'm having, I'm, I'm laying this one away. This is something I know I can, I can put away and I'll come back to over time. I'll get to it. Both incredible wines. Really, I've, I've enjoyed, I, I, just the smell. That's, that's, that's just my going off the smell. <laughs> that's how they feel to me.
Ashley? Well, I was just going to say, I don't know what the hell you want me to add to that, Glenn. And, and Ted, thanks for the key up. That, like, we're both going to walk you through it. They're both fantastic. And I love both of them. And I'm going to, I'm not going to lay anything away. I'm going to drink them as, as fast as I can pour them. That's how I would analyze this. But I, Drew, Damon, you kind of went through your, your wine a little bit, but Drew, I'd love for you to kind of tell us about the the estate reserve. 2018 is what we're drinking. Yeah. Walk us through. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, our the double back and the estate reserve now are all from our own estate vineyards um mcqueen that we planted uh, back in 2007 bob healy we acquired uh i think we acquired in 2011 and then uh lafour vineyard we've been buying fruit from for a long time but now uh but now um own that one as well um and so, you know, it, and it's uh, um, the way that we the way that we look at it, and this, it's somewhat similar to what Damon described with how they put together their uh, their program. But for us, even though these the three those three estate vineyards, even though they're in, in very close proximity to each other, um, they're at, at different elevations and they're in different um, different soil series. Um, and so, you know, I mean, you really. You're talking about like a, I don't know, maybe a little bit over a mile um, from, you know, farther side of McQueen to the farther side of Lafour and, and Bob Healy in between. Um, but with those three estate vineyards, we've got uh, we've got this kind of Bob Ross, you know, palette, you know, that, that you get to paint from. Um, and uh, so we with the estate reserve, uh, it's the first thing that we blend every year. Um um, we essentially follow, you know, all the wines as they come through, tasting through them, you know, periodically. Um, there's a lot of Clone Six Cabernet from uh, from uh, McQueen Vineyard. There, uh, this 2018 was the first time that we had uh, Cab Franc uh, on the uh, that was estate grown, and that was from uh, uh, from uh, Lafour Vineyard, which is down in the Rocks district. So the Rocks, that's where you have all these really super famous. Uh, uh, Syrahs uh, from the Walla Walla Valley, um, but uh, yeah, from the moment that we that we went to barrel the Cab Franc from 2018 from the Four Vineyard was my favorite wine in the cellar, uh, and sure enough, all of that made it into the Estate Reserve, uh, and uh, so yeah, it's it's the wine that gets the very first choice every year from our estate uh, from our estate uh, lots. Um, and, uh, it, but it does, it's still, it does vary quite a, very quite a bit, you know, for example, the 19, we've already done, um, I think we're well, actually, I think we're, no, we're done with the blending on the, uh, the 19, uh, for the estate reserve. None of the cab franc made it in, uh, to the estate reserve in, in 19. So really kind of interesting because just to, to go from one year to the next and it's, you know, so the cab franc, the cab franc by itself is still really cool. Uh, and we may actually even bottle some of it on its own. Uh, but for whatever reason, just stylistically, it just didn't make it into the estate reserve blend the next year. Um, it is fun though when you when you plant when you plant a vineyard, um, and you know we have our own farming company um, that we that we keep on year round. And uh, Pedro, who's our foreman for the farm company, actually helped plant the vineyard back in the day, and it's his favorite vineyard in the whole valley. And these people, they they. They love our vineyards like they're their own, um, and so when you see something that you planted all the way back when, that's now, um, you know, cared for uh, meticulously with passion by people that work for you year round, and then you get to see um, the results of that um, in the bottle, it's really pretty fun. It's pretty gratifying. Yeah, no, the vineyard thing is is really awesome, and 
Drew's talking about how close his vineyards were together, but how different they are. You know, our story at Passing Time is really, you know, I think I said earlier, all we made was one wine, the Horse Heaven Hills Cab. But every year, originally with it, we put a little bit of Red Mountain Merlot in it. And people's eyes would light up when I'd go, I'd say Red Mountain. And then the next question would be, is your winery in Walla Walla? And I quickly learned that people really identify Washington wine with place. And I thought, how fun would it be to have a dinner and you have all three, let's make a cab from Red Mountain and a cab from Walla Walla. And that's what we started to do in 2014. And you have a dinner party and you open up all three of them next to each other and just celebrate the difference in place in what we're doing here in Washington State. And that's really what's so fun for me at Passing Time, and especially with, like, all of our club members. I mean, you know, they all have different favorites. Like, for some, it's the Red Mountain. For for a lot of them, it's the Horse Heaven Hills, which is the one we started with. So it's just it's amazing, just these different appellations, different growing regions, the climates. Red Mountain is this southwestern basin slope. It's just beat up by the sun, probably the hottest appellation in the state. Uh, it's very close to the Hanford nuclear site, so the grapes glow. At night. <laughs> I'm kidding on that. But, uh, you know, and, but it's only like, you know, 50, 60 miles away from Walla Walla and so different. And the Horse Heaven Hills is kind of a, I don't know, kind of somewhere in between Red Mountain and Walla Walla. You know, that's what you're drinking tonight, as Glenn alluded to. It's just, it is. It's this awesome masculine Cabernet you want to drink with a steak. But I think there is a touch of restraint, and especially on the nose, like those floral elements. You know, it's just, it's not that pruny, in-your-face, big 16% alcohol sweet cab that we get from some places, as Drew alluded to. Uh, it's just, <laughs> it's kind of old world in style, but with some of that pure fruit, I think we like as Americans, because we like to also drink our wine as cocktails sometimes, so it works. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm glad you said that because <laughs> cocktail wines are this thing, and and as you guys know, and they really made their their imprint in the early well mid '90s and a little later. Guys on expense accounts with their cigars, they bought, they wanted big giant extracted fruit bombs is what they wanted. Well, good luck eating anything with that. <laughs> you know, it's like I don't know uh, the way I grew up. Uh, you know, the way I was I've learned and 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 through my time in the wine business is is wine is food, wine is family, wine is get together. And those are just none of that. <laughs> that is, no. look at my wallet and other things and how big they are, and let me show you this wine. Right. And neither of these fall into that category, thank God, because that is just, those are anathema to, to what I enjoy as a wine. So um, thank you for saying that, both because it's so true, the cocktail wine that we keep referencing for people who might not be into wine as much as sports, that's what we're talking about. They really are, they're just extracted fruit bombs. They're just, they're, they're. If you took them to the lab, they'd probably be over 17% alcohol. And it's. Yes, funny. very hot. As Americans, yeah. we, we grow, we grow up eat, eating so much sugar, soda pop, lollipops, all that stuff. And all that stuff, as we get older, our palate continues to change. But we, we like sweet. And so, so many people who not, maybe don't understand wine as much. They're going to tell you they like a wine because it's it's sweet when it's really high in alcohol. Uh, but you mentioned the word, Glenn, balance. And I think Drew and I both strive and work very close with our winemakers. Talked about structure, but it's all about the balance. 
right? And, and if it doesn't have that, um, it just doesn't work for us at passing time. Yeah, yeah amen. I, I, it's it's I, it's I, actually it's it's actually really sorry. So sorry, Ashley. I just wanted no. to finish that before for for like so I'm sorry for cutting you off, but. But you know, it was really cool, Glenn. I your uh, your your Lincoln log and Nerf ball analogy. I hadn't heard that one before. Uh, I, I, I but I but I like it. But but I think the uh, but I think um, you know one of the things that we're blessed with in the Northwest, both and if you're talking about the Willamette Valley in Oregon, or if you're talking about the Columbia Valley in Washington, uh, is this this climate that first of all is at least in the Columbia Valley is remarkably consistent. Um, hot days, cool nights. Um, yeah, but because we get that 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 nice coolness at night with combined with our long hot days, I feel like we're more capable of achieving that balance more often than most most you know most places. Um, you know, and, and and you know when I talk about it, I um, I it's a little bit different, but but I talk about the old world wines, and those would be the Lincoln Logs that you described, right? You know, that's all structure. You know, it's all yes. structure in the old world. And then if you go to the cocktail wines you're talking about, that's all fruit. It's all fruit, and it's uh, and those are the wines. They're easy to fall in love with when you just start drinking wine because they're obvious, right? You don't have to think about them. It's like, oh, fruit, alcohol, oh, vanilla, boom, boom. Yeah, that's easy. Um, but uh, when you have both of those things um, in harmony, where you've got structure, you've got fruit, you've lower alcohol levels, you know, higher acid than most New World wines, and you put all of those things and they operate in harmony, then you got a chance to have something that's really interesting that. Uh, that also gets more interesting the more time you spend with it, you know, rather than, uh, um, you know, I, I don't want to take this too off color, but it's, you know, anyway. Um, <laughs> let, let, let's, let's just say that those wines that are in balance, those are the ones you want to get married to. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> and I'll just leave the other ones in a different category. By the way, I played I, Lincoln Logs are great. I played with Lincoln log, Logs, Glenn. I'm not, I mean, I'm not that big a rookie, but I, I had one question for both of you, and I know you both have already been very generous with your time, and I don't know how much more wine we have to drink. I could keep you guys here all night, but what is the biggest similarity between being an NFL quarterback or being a quarterback, period, and making wine? Mm-hmm. Uh, Go ahead, Damon. Okay. Well, it's like anything in this wine world. Um, it's about being a great team, right? Um, being able to delegate, trust people, others. Um, there are so many moving parts in the wine industry. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'd like to answer your question, Ashley, by telling you what maybe what was my biggest challenge out, out, out of the gate. It, it wasn't getting great fruit. It wasn't fi finding the right winemaker. All those things happened. It was awesome. It was when we had it up and running and then kind of figuring out my e-commerce platform and how to get our wine to the world and how to communicate with my club members and my customers and all that stuff. And so, you know, there's no doubt the football background teaches you competition and you want to make a great product and kick ass and get the highest scores. But at the end of the day, it's all about relationships, customer service. You know, I self-distribute myself here in the state of Washington. I want to build real relationships. You know, and Drew, Drew does a lot of this, too. I mean, we'll, we'll be at the back door at, at, at El Gaucho at del delivering the wine. I want to build real relationships with these restaurants in town and this, that, and the other. So, you know, uh, but the e-commerce platform and getting your website right and all that stuff. I mean, what the hell did I know coming out of the locker room for 13 years 
you know, when it came to running and managing your own business. But I think um, it's so cool all these years later that uh, Drew and I took our, you know, found another passion in life, right? I mean, it, um, it, it, it's a lot of fun for both of us to, uh, to continue our friendship, to, to carry the Washington State flag. I'll say Washington flag. He might say Washington State flag. No, you were right. You said it right the first time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's something to, uh, that we're I think both really proud of. We've we found another career, but there's no doubt about it. To answer your question, um, our experiences in the NFL, you know, highs, lows, setbacks, how to be a teammate, to build a team. Um, you know, now you know, I was always a backup quarterback for the most part in the NFL, so it's not hard for me to. Uh, to, to, I call Marino my backup now because I, I, I'm more, most sort of the managing partner. He don't really like that. But, um, but with my winemaker and those tough decisions that need to be made in the vineyard, in the cellar, I'm, I'm able to delegate and work with him. Um, but, yeah, it's, just, it's all the same. But at the end of the day, I'll say this. It's all about relationships, period. Life, business, sports, football, whatever it is. You, you, you have those skills and build true, genuine relationships. Whatever it is you're doing in life and in business, it's going to work. Yeah, that's awesome. No, I'll, uh, I, I, yeah, I'll just I'll echo that sentiment, Damon, um, and like add one to it from, you know, from going through what we went through in 2020, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're part of a football team. You don't really know if your football team's any good until you face adversity, right? You know, you're behind in the fourth quarter, you lose a couple games in a row, you know, can you answer the bell? And uh, man, it was really cool for for us this year. Our, our team, you know, in 2020, they just showed up, went to work, repurposed, canceled all of our 100 plus events, and figured out how they're going to repurpose their time. And, and uh, they kind of rocked it right through it. But it, uh, uh, the only other thing that I'll add, because I mean, there's so many allusions. Like there's there's so many re- there's, like there are all these football terms that get used in business, um, and I think a lot of times people don't even recognize they're using football terms, you know, like, yeah, I need you to quarterback this project for me. Hey, it's all about our blocking and tackling. But people say that it's all about blocking and tackling. They have no idea that they're talking about football. They're just like, hey, it's, we're just talking about fundamentals, right? Um, you know, and uh, uh, I guess you say we got to get this one across the goal line. That could be multiple other sports as well, but I choose to think it's only football. Um, uh, but, there's a, but there's a reason for that because it's, it's at a high level, you know, owning, running, and managing a business is so similar to playing quarterback. Um, one of the things though, though, that has really struck me that we've tried to instill into the culture of our, of our business, um, as Damon said earlier, you know, it, it is so competitive out there. You know, people ask, you know, Hey, so how do you replace that competitiveness that you had from football? Like, well, I love football. I got into the most competitive industry in the world by part, by product skew. It's the most competitive industry in the world. There's 50,000 unique bottles of wine made worldwide every year. Um, and, uh, but when I talk to you, like when I, I still have a good relationship with Mr. Kraft, still have a, have a good relationship with uh, uh, Joe Lacob, who's the primary owner of the Warriors, and I've asked them both the same question because it, it, for at least for a while they were the the, the top franchises in their respective um, uh, sports. I'm like, so what separates you guys from everybody else? Why why are the Patriots different? Why are the Golden State Warriors different? What's the one thing that separates you guys? And they both had the same answer. They go, it's not one thing; it's everything. We compete at every single thing that we do. Um, how we travel, how we manage the salary cap, how we eat, how we coach, um, you know, our parking, you know, whatever. There's there's none of it that's too small to compete at. 
Uh, and uh, we've tried to instill that into uh, into our company where, you know, hey, look, you know, we're competing at every last piece of this. And our standard is not what somebody else did. Our standard is how could how good can we be at that particular aspect of it? You know, how good can we be at taking care of the environment and the vineyard? How at a high level, how good can we be at taking care of the people that work for us? Um, how good can we be at being responsible about our package? You know, all, all of it. And then as Damon alluded, then at the end of the day, you got to sell it to somebody. Otherwise you don't get to be in business. Um, and, uh, you've got to, uh, uh, and then you got to go that extra mile to make sure that, uh, um, not only are your cat or your customers happy one time, but they want to come back and buy wine from you every single year. Um, and if you do that, you can, you can build a cool business. Hey, uh, I, we can't thank you guys enough for, for doing this. I, I the, the thing that stuck with me from the very beginning, I think Drew, you said it. How has no one used the name Rifle Arm yet? What a great name. So if I can ever convince Parker to do this deal, that's going to be ours, Parker. Rifle Arm. <laughs> no, no, ours will be Snap or something along those lines. Well, because, Drew, I'll go with you, but it's not about blocking and tackling. It's all about blocking. That's what it's all about. <laughs> right, right, right. And I would ask you guys this, if I could. I would love, I know, I'll talk to our, our producer uh, off the air, but I would love to get both of your information. I'd love to talk to you further. I'd love to maybe make a trip up because, Drew, one, I'm, I love fly fishing and the deschutes I've done year after year for 20-something years. But wine, I'd love to come up and see both of your operations if that's possible. So I'll ask for that info. If you don't want it, please let him know. Yeah, I don't want Glenn to have my information. You can give me damage. No, Glenn, we would love to see you, man. I, I, I am, I am admittedly not a very good fisherman, but I know good fishermen. So when you come down here, if you need, uh, if you need any help on the shoots, I can set that up. It's just not going to be me. Uh, and then, uh, obviously, would love to show you around in Walla Walla. Um, but yeah, you don't get to use rifle arm, dude. That's a quarterback thing. I, I could come up with some good offensive linemen uh wine yeah. names but none of them none of them uh, bring anything delicious to mind so you're probably not gonna want to use those like, I, I don't know i mean i don't think anybody wants to drink any sweaty ass crack glenn you need uh you need you need you're gonna have to you're gonna have to you're gonna have to come up with something that's a little yeah, more flowery the discrimination offensive linemen from the you guys matter too i get it the trenches. There you go. Mm, All right. There you go. There so you go. I like that, Damon. There you okay. go. Right. I'm the artist. I'll even draw your label. <laughs> there you go. That's I just the way, last, just, thing, last thing I want to say, guys, just I just like, want to say thank oh, you in advance. Okay, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Drew. Oh, no, I was just saying, Glenn, just so you know that Damon's going to trademark that as soon as we get off, so he's going to charge it for it. You want to go make the trenches. Yeah, that's, how he, that's how he works. That's standard, right? That's how he thinks, is it? Huh? Yeah, if right. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Ryan, I said, I didn't mean to you. you know, we actually yeah. have a fun project we did in 2015, Drew and I, and we're doing it again this year, and we call it Double Time, Double Back, Passing Time, and we make 300 magnums. And uh, on it, it's called Double Time Rivals with an Apple on it. It's actually pretty kick-ass. So we'll get you guys all a magnum of our Double Time. We're bottling it up in June. And we'll, we sign them all, and we have some fun with it, give a lot of them away to charity and, uh, you know, to our club members too. So that, that's kind of our fun little one-off together. That is awesome. I, I just was going to say, the last thing I was going to say was thank you in advance for inviting us to be a part of your riverboat cruise. We are looking forward to it. 
And we'll be releasing our magnum. We can't wait for that. Uh, your wine is delicious. You both are fantastic. I'll let Thank Ted you. take it home, but let's uh, let's do this again on a riverboat. That's the time. Double back. Find it. Excellent. And again, guys, thank you for helping us kick off what we hope is a, is a hell of a good ride.